This podcast is a presentation of Gateway Fellowship, Paulsville, Washington. Experience community, find hope. Check us out at gatewayfellowship.com. If I haven't met yet, my name is Mario, and uh, glad uh, to be able to join this morning. How are you guys doing? Are we doing all right? Alive or well? Let's get some thumbs up. Yep, doing good. All right. I like it. I like it. Silence? All right. This one's just checking. Just checking. Just checking. Yeah. So fall's here, right? For, for better or for worse. You know, I mean, yesterday, I don't know if you guys were out yesterday, but it was beautiful. Like, absolutely loved yesterday. It was awesome. Um, got to get some pickleball in, in the evening. It's just like, does the day get any better? You know, it was just, it was gorgeous out, which, which kind of feels like it's not quite fall yet. But for, for anybody who has kids or is around kids, um, you know that fall has come because school has started, which means having to go and get all the school supplies. And, and uh, you know, some are getting some, some clothes for school and doing the whole school clothes shopping thing. And, you know, I, I recall a time that uh, I decided I was going to spruce up uh, my whole wardrobe. This was while I was still going after my, um, my, my calendar degree. And so I thought, you know what, it's, it's been a few years. I'm going to go ahead and just sort of spruce it up, check out what's going on. It's been a while since I'd entered the, the halls of the mall. And so I decided to check it out. And so I went in and um, I went and grabbed some jeans and I, I went to the, the dressing room and, and started to try them on. And I had the right numbers, but as I pulled them up, like they weren't going up the way that they used to. Like it wasn't buckling on. The way that I, that I, you know, used to remember this happening. And I remember being so frustrated in that moment. Like, how could these gene companies decide to change the entire way that they're measuring out these numbers? Like, that was really what was going on for me. And I know you might think that that's crazy, but I, I, it was right during the time where jeans went from, like, normal jeans to skinny jeans. Yep. And so it was right in that season. So I thought like, well, they must have just changed the whole thing about how they're going to measure this whole thing. So I was pretty frustrated. So I, you know, I was like, okay, well, I went and go grab some shirts and, and they were just not fitting the same, like stuff was not buttoning up the way that it used to. And I was so frustrated at all these companies for changing the way that their, their stuff is. I thought like it's supposed to fit a certain way, yet all these companies have conspired against me to make sure the clothing doesn't fit. I mean, don't they know that a black man has curves in different places? I mean, they, they need to know this stuff. This is what was going on in my mind. And so I went home and I thought, like, before I let all these companies know, I'm going to measure myself just to let them know to prove to them something's gone wrong. And so I pull out the measuring thing and I'm starting to measure some things and um, can realize it wasn't them. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it was not them. And all of a sudden, there was a moment, an aha moment of the perspective change that started to take place in that moment, which was, was not all of that exciting for me to experience. I mean, we all come to moments, don't we, where um, our perspective might be a little bit off with the way that we see things in the world, right? I mean, we might, our perspective might just be wrong sometimes. I mean, you take for some of you, I mean, you're still Seahawks fans, right? I mean... Oh, ah, oof, ah. Hey, there's still time for you to change. It's early in the season. It's all right. You know, some of us are in the spot and we, we will get focused in on whatever the latest and greatest thing is. Like whatever that is, like that's what we end up getting our focus on. For some of us, we find ourselves in a spot where we are so caught up in whatever comes into our news feed, that's where our focus goes, that's where our perspective becomes, is whatever comes into our news feed. We never, ever look at another perspective. 
And so we find ourselves with these potentially wrong perspectives as a result. And, and it really doesn't help the world that we live in, does it? I mean, when we look around at us, there's sort of this prevailing way of thinking about how perspectives are supposed to be. And it's this. You have your perspective. I have my perspective. Whatever your truth is is your truth. And whatever my truth is is my truth. And they're all exactly all the same. It's like, yeah, that's a perspective. Until it's time to get paid, Right? I mean, I don't need my boss telling me that he's having a certain, he's feeling his certain truth about how much I need to get paid in this moment, right? I mean, whatever's sitting down on the piece of paper is what I need to get paid, not, not him just having a truth in that moment. You see, these perspectives matter. Having the right perspective matters. And that's why we're in this series called Locked Up, Not Out. We're looking at this guy named named Paul as he is in prison. And as he's in prison, he's writing to these people uh, in Philippi. And if you want to know more of the history and the background about that, I encourage you to check out last week because uh, I unpacked that a little bit more. But suffice it to say, he's in prison and he's writing to these people in Philippi. And if you want to, you can feel free to turn to your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. That's where we're going to be. Or you can get in your Bible app and scroll to Philippians chapter 1 because that's where we're going to camp out is towards the end of that that, um, passage today. But as we do, what we see is that Paul is helping these people get a right perspective about their identity and about their circumstances because it wasn't really going well for them. And so I would say for us today, like as we're taking a look at these passages, as we take a look at what it is that Paul is saying, we have to be able to get this one right, to get this whole perspective thing right as individuals and as a church. Because if we don't, then we'll end up moving towards despair towards discouragement, and towards being divided in ways that we were never meant to be. And you say, like, well, that sounds kind of grave, Mario. Like, how, how do you know that? And I'm saying, well, because that's what was happening in the Philippian church. That's the way that they were headed. And so Paul had to offer his perspective and call them to a certain perspective in light of the way and the opposition that they were experiencing during that time. And so Paul speaks into this drift that the Philippian people were experiencing. And sometimes, maybe even we might find ourselves experiencing. Paul speaks into this identity, and he calls them to a certain way of being. And what he says is this, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27 through 30, it says this. It says, above all, you must live as, and what does it say there? As citizens of heaven. Can, can we say that phrase, live as citizens of heaven? Um, let's try that one last time. Live as because that's all I got today. That's the most important piece. This sets the whole um, conversation. It's this whole idea of living as citizens of heaven. He says, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then, whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This is a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved even by God himself. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We are in the struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I am still in the midst of it. So here is Paul writing these words. And 
I don't know that we can necessarily just grasp exactly the weight of what it is that, that's just taking place right here. Paul is in prison writing these words. Now, it, he, it's said by, by some commentators that Paul is, is literally chained up to a person. He's chained up to one of the prison guards there because Paul had this amazing ability. He had like this whole Houdini act going on where he would be in prison and all of a sudden he would just break out. And there was great stories about that. And so they're like, we're taking no chances with this guy. And Paul is saying in the midst of this, this is the way that you're supposed to live. He gives them a different perspective. And there's just a desire for, for Paul for them to live in this certain way. And so he brings up this idea of being citizens of heaven. And so Paul was very intentional in using this words, this phrase, the citizens of heaven, to describe these people. You know, as the people of Philippi heard this, they would get this as part of their identity. As I shared last week, the people of Philippi, they were in the colony of Rome. This means that they were Roman citizens in every way, although they lived on the outskirts of what's now called modern Greece. So as Roman citizens... They lived by Roman laws, they enjoyed Roman benefits, and they celebrated Roman values and customs. The Philippian church had a better quality of life as Romans, but because they responded to the gospel of Jesus, they now had a better citizenship. They were no longer just citizens of Rome, but they were citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And that's what Paul was trying to call them to, to remind them of this with benefits that Rome can never offer. Now I want to invite you to consider this this morning, that the same thing is true for you. You may live in America, but this is not your ultimate home. This is not your ultimate citizenship. You may have a 400 square foot house or 4,000 square foot house, but that's ultimately not your true home. You are first citizens of heaven and just like them, at the point that you said yes to Jesus, you have a new citizenship, you have a new family, you have new laws, and you have new benefits. You have a new values, and now you celebrate new customs. You have a new way of being, a new home. Peter said it in this way, and he was quoting the prophet Hosea as he was saying these words. He's kind of thinking back to this, and he says this, Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. And so Peter goes on to, to share his, his kind of commentary on this, and he says, Dear friends, I warn you, and here's the phrase he uses, as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. You see our time here? It's temporary. Our life here, some, of the, some authors say it's just but a vapor. And so Paul says, you need to live in light of this. Peter echoes this saying, this is a certain way that you're supposed to live. But one of the things I want us to catch in the way that, that Paul is speaking to the people is he's not just speaking to them individually. Paul is writing to a church, a, a group of people saying, this is how you're supposed to live. And so as he talks about how it is they're supposed to live, you may notice that there's not just an individual call, but it's a call as a faith community to live in a certain way. And so as he speaks and as we take in what Paul has to say, we can't just think about it individually like, like, what does this mean for me? We have to ask the question, what does this mean for us? 
What does this mean for us as gateways? We say this is what we're a part of. What does this mean as a larger body of larger uh, people in the community of God, not just with gateway, but with anybody who calls ourselves fellow believers who believe with Jesus Christ being Lord? What does that mean for us to be in community and relationship with them? How are we supposed to live in light of that? This is a you in relationship to the person next to you thing. That's what Paul is calling us to. And so with that, he says, if you're going to live as citizens of heaven, this is what this looks like. This is how we do it. We do it by keeping the unity of the Spirit. He says this in verse 27. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I am absent, I may hear, that you, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit. There's this oneness that takes place. Is this picture that Jesus Christ is Lord over all things. And as the body of Christ, we stand together underneath his headship. And as we do, this spirit is not just sort of some mystical thing or just some, some great idea. It's standing, under, standing united together under this, this banner of Jesus Christ being Lord, of the spirit being in our lives, of us standing on the word of God. He's saying that I'm calling you to stand firm in one spirit. It's the hallmark of what it means to be followers of Christ is to stay united together. Paul's not the only person who says something about this. Before Paul, there was this guy named Jesus. And Jesus, in a prayer that he is praying on behalf of the people, he prays for the disciples that are with him, and then he transitions to start to pray about us. And this is what he says. He says, I do not ask for these things only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Speaking of you and me, that's who Jesus is talking about in this passage. And you know what he prays for? I mean, think about it. Jesus could have prayed anything for you and for me. He could have prayed anything for us. But you know what he prays for? He prays that we may be one. He says, just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, so that they may also be in us. For what purpose? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. See, folks, something happens when we choose to come together under the Lord's name. All of a sudden, when we choose to fall in line with who Jesus Christ is, allowing him to be Lord over our lives individually and corporately as a faith community, all of a sudden the world that's looking out for something of truth can look to you and I, can look to us communally and say, that's Jesus. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. We get to carry that burden and we have that opportunity together. You see, our unity that we keep isn't in politics. The unity that we keep is not in sports teams, is not in our social or financial status, but it's rooted in the Spirit of God who has accomplished eternal life with the Father so that we are no longer destined to hell. That's what we're rooted in. The question is, ultimately, where are you placing your allegiance? If we want to talk about this individually... What's your allegiance placed in? Who gets the ultimate or what gets the ultimate allegiance in your life? What gets your time? What gets your energy? What gets your affections? You see, citizens of heaven set God as their top priority and understand that our love for one another is what will draw people to himself. You see, citizens of heaven become united by keeping God first and we stay united by striving together.
Paul says this, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel is what he says. The language of striving is a language of conflict. The word striving is from this idea of players on an athletic team working side by side against an opposing force. That maybe is what Paul has in mind as he's using these words. In the challenges they faced, the believers needed to act as a team. Well, one commentator talks about it in this way. He says that the other image is of Roman armies because they fight as a single unit. They link their shields to make a wall in defense or quickly reform into lines or wedges for attack. Will Christians be any less committed to one another than pagan soldiers? That's the question that he asks, and I think it's a great one. Will we live our lives any different or even, maybe even better? It seems like Roman soldiers got it figured out. It seems like sports teams have it figured out. The question is, will the people of God have it figured out that we have to be side by side, striving together towards the things that God has called for us to be about? Practically speaking, this brings us back to a spot where we see Paul asking and challenging us and calling us to these questions. Will we plan together? Will we pray together? Will we serve together? Will we be in community with one another? It's an active participation. It's not a passive thing to call ourselves followers of Jesus. We don't get to say, yes, Jesus, I choose to be a part of your kingdom. Peace. Like, that's not the way that it works. When we say yes to Jesus, we join a community and we get to be active in it. I love the way that a person talks about it. He says, the church, which is experiencing unity, must be a church without passengers. Is there unity where there is the tacit or spoken attitude, I agree with you, but I will not do anything for you? Or I agree with your aims, but I will not go with you to fulfill them. Acquiescence is not unity. Consent is not cooperation. Approval is not partnership. And that is why we talk about being in community with one another so much. That's why you hear us talking about every week about being in some type of relational connection with somebody. We do it in groupings. We call them our different discipleship groups. But maybe you're like, hey, I can't find time to be a part of one of those right now, whatever it might be. Good. Still text the number because I'll connect you with the guy. I'll connect you with the gal to the extent that I can that can continue to meet with you, that you can grow so that when you find yourself against opposition, you have somebody side by side with you. Or sometimes we just need somebody holding the shield in front of us, don't we? We're not meant to do this alone. We're meant to strive together for the things that God has called us to. If you haven't made that move yet, I encourage you to do it. I encourage you to get into a relationship with others. And finally, we see Paul calling us to be citizens of heaven in this short passage by remaining fearless in the midst of suffering. He says this in verse 28. He says, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. That's one of those things that are just like, oof, not frightened by anything. There's part of me that like it fills my heart and soul when I say it. And then there's the other part of me that goes like, <laughs> I get frightened. I get scared. So, so how, what does that have to say about me? You know? I wish I could say that I never get frightened but that's simply not true. I do sometimes. 
And it's in those moments in which I'm frightened the most, I need to be reminded of truth. I appreciate the words of Nelson Mandela. He says this, I learned that courage was not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. The brave man is not he who does not feel afraid, but he who conquers that fear. You see, it's not that we won't ever experience fear as followers of Jesus. But when we're reminded of who we are, and when we choose to come together, when we find ourselves in relationship with somebody that can simply say, you got this, you can move forward. I've been down this road a little bit further than you have, and I'm telling you, you can make it. We need those relationships in our lives to continue to move forward towards the things that God has called for us to do. The church will be able to stand against the most terrifying things that come its way. You will be able to stand against the most terrifying things that come your way. We need each other, though, in those, in those moments. And it's not that we won't experience suffering. God only knows the suffering that Christians all around the world are experiencing right now. All around the world, people are experiencing suffering in ways that we cannot fathom. And yet, in this room, there's a level of suffering that takes place that God only knows. I know some of your stories, but I don't know the depths of those stories. God knows them, though. Suffering is a part of this Christian journey. It's a part of this Christian life. And Paul says just as much. And when that fear and that doubt starts to creep in, we need to be reminded of truth. Paul says, for you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We are in this struggle together. Here's Paul chained up to a prison guard. And he's saying, we're in this together. I get it, is what Paul's saying. The suffering that you're experiencing, I get it. We're in it together. The call is to not be frightened, but instead to be courageous, to choose to trust in God's sovereignty. It's why we need each other. I know that I'm so much more courageous in the journey when I have a band of brothers that are around me, walking me through, reminding me of truth, reminding me of who I am. And I believe that the same thing is true for you. So I want to encourage you with the words that someone said that I think just resonate so truly. It says, the world rises up in a display of opposition designed to put the church to total rout. But the church can respond with a rock-like immobility simply when it is a united church. We have to choose to walk united together. And so I ask you this this morning. Have you started to prepare yourself for what we know will come, which will be more opposition, which will be more persecution? You see, we have it so much better right now than our brothers and sisters around the world, but can I say that the days will get darker, things will become harder, and as those things become harder, we will have to make decisions about who we choose to have be the one that we give our allegiance to. What choice will you make about being a citizen of heaven in that day? And what I want to suggest to us is that if we don't start preparing ourselves now for that day, we won't be able to stand. Paul tells us what's required of that. First and foremost, that we are united, that Jesus is Lord of our life first and foremost. It starts there. And so we get to make decisions now about how we live now for those days that are going to come. What decision will you make? 
You see, as we prepare to close, I just want to invite us to consider some of the things that Paul has called us to. Some of us, we have to really consider our allegiance, how we spend our time, our effort, our loves. What do we spend? Who gets the most? Where's our allegiance? Some of us, we feel the Lord speaking to us about that, that something needs to change, something needs to adjust. And for some of us, we're walking this road alone and we're not meant to walk it alone. And you know that it's time to move from isolation into community. It might be the last thing that you want to do, but you know that it's best for you. You need somebody that you know is going to have that shield up side by side with you. Somebody that's going to put it in front sometimes when you need it the most. Someone who'll get your back by having it behind you. Some of us in this place, we have been beat down by the suffering that we've experienced in our life. Some of us, we have been in a spot where the things of this life have caused us to be fearful. And we hear Paul's calling that says, be courageous, stand firm. And our response is to say, yes, Jesus. I choose to call you Lord and Savior of my life. I choose to trust you today. And for some, as we consider what it means to be a citizen of heaven, we're thinking about that day, and we know that there's a decision that needs to be made here and now. How we're going to orient our life, how we're going to rearrange our life so that we're prepared for when darker times come. It's a decision that we all get to make. And my prayer, and I'm going to pray for us in just a moment, is that as the Spirit of God speaks to us, that we would be a courageous people, that we would be a united people, presenting who Jesus is to a world that so desperately knows it by lifting him up. So would you stand with me this morning? We're going to pray. You know, maybe for you, you never even said yes to Jesus. You think about that day, you're like, I am in a spot where I've never even said yes to God. And for you, today is a day of salvation. Today is the day in which you're saying yes to, to Jesus. I love that Dave, uh, Pastor Dave prayed earlier that our hearts will be open to what God will be speaking. It's a day today in which you would say yes to Jesus. If it is, he's been waiting for eternity for this moment for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you right now, giving you thanks that you are Lord over all, King of kings and Lord of lords. And in this moment, Lord, as we come before you, we offer ourselves to you as a faith community, recognizing that there's so much more that's taking place than just what happens with us individually. But as a faith community, we have an opportunity to represent you. And yet individually, Lord, we hear you speaking to us. Lord, some of us are in this place and we put so many other things before you. And in this moment, we confess that. And we offer ourselves to you and say, Lord, we want you to be first place in our life, to have first place. Forgive us to, for having other allegiances, for, for putting other things before you, for having other perspectives. We choose to be a citizen of heaven. Father, some of us have been going at it alone and we know that it's, it's killing us on the inside today we hear your call to move into community and as scary as it is God I pray that you would grant your people courage to move beyond isolation and into fellowship and into relationship Father I pray for those that are in this place that have been beaten down by the things of life the suffering the agony the grief the pain 
Would you remind them, Lord, that they're not alone in that? There have been men and women before that have experienced similar things. There are men and women right now that are experiencing similar things. And in the midst of it all, you are still God. Would you offer a measure of faith to those who need it this morning? And Father, I pray for those in this place that are saying yes to you for the first time. That their hearts and lives are open to a God who loves them so much. That they've been trying to figure out how to make this world work, but they have not been able to. And they're at a spot where they're saying, Jesus, come into my life. Be my Lord and be my Savior and be my God. I cannot figure out this life on my own. I need you. That vision of being in a a different kind of, of, of place, a different kind of citizenship, I want that this morning. God, for those in this place that are praying that prayer, I thank you, God, that your answer is yes, and you are changing them from the inside out right here and right now. Thank you for that, Jesus. And I pray for those in this place that need to make a declaration to reorient their hearts and lives for the days that are getting darker. God, I pray that you will grant the courage for us to make whatever is necessary, the adjustments that need to be made, so that you will be honored as the days continue to grow darker, so that we would be able to be seen as citizens of heaven, on display for a world that so desperately needs to know who you are. Individually and as a faith community, Lord, we submit ourselves to you fresh and anew and pray, Lord Jesus, have your way in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's take an opportunity to sing together. And as we do, I'll come back afterwards. You're the same God today and the same God tomorrow. Help me see the victory you already see. Let my faith be today what it will be tomorrow. When I see the victory you already see. The battle. 